This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries, official sponsor of Faction 46 and Nice Motorsports Truck Series teams. Forney offers versatile welding and plasma cutting machines, along with a full line of metalworking accessories for beginners, do-it-yourselfers, and professionals. Forney has everything you need for your next metalworking project. Shop for these top-of-the-line products at ForneyIND.com, that's F-O-R-N-E-Y-I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item, backed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They yeah. had been, they had been yeah. around the block a time or two. What's so, the first deal they built, I bet? No, no, you know, you could, I think they were, they had, the, the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped-up car, and he, he complained that the government gave him these piece-of-crap, cheapo cars and that, that were really no match, but he thought he was doing pretty good. And then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappeared. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And it, it, as he said, it was a game of chicken and I was a chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually he was the guy who, who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a, in a barbed wire fence. <laughs> So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Bought Podcast. Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at lionelracing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. 
Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. About that time I saw the King Air take off, I knew who it was. It was JJ on the side of it. He was going to Wilkesboro. The next morning, I was walking past the trailer in France was sitting yeah how you sit out behind the trash hey Beamer, you ain't cheating today are you and I said yeah the day ain't over yet winning that race and that guy it was like the whole weight of the world was lifted off his shoulder all that yeah. guy wanted to do was win a race the day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget it's past that's the day we don't have any future Hello, everyone. I'm Steve Wade. And my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace, and a track that truly does care about NASCAR history. And Steve, how do you like us now, baby? <laughs> we are going uptown, Rick. Uptown. <laughs> We're going to Uptown Mooresville. <laughs> We have been able to swing a deal with John Dodson over at the NASCAR Technical Institute for a studio. Steve, we have a studio. That's where we right. Can do all of our interviews. Well, it's just a great location in NASCAR Technical Institute. And the thing I like about it, Rick, that location is very, very convenient for so many of the guests that we have planned. Well, I think we'll still be hitting the road to some of the people that don't live real close to here, but. If they do live close, we now have a place for them to go, and it's going to be really cool. Now, I will say this. I have enjoyed the chance to get to know John a little bit since we interviewed him for the podcast, worked with him on this project. And one day last week, you and me and Todd Phillips, who's been helping us out on the sound, we spent the day over there getting all the lights and sound boards set up. Then I went back Friday by myself and through trial and error (laughs) started to put up some sound and light dampening foam tiles on the windows. And Steve, the thing that I'm looking most forward to is decorating it with a bunch of racing memorabilia. Our friend, Jamie Bishop is going to be hooking us up with a few things. And when I say he's hooking us up, it's going to be pretty cool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, then I sent Ronnie Thomas a message to see if maybe he had something that he would be willing to donate from the treasures that he has in his collection. And he's passing along a mannequin for a uniform that I'm supposed to have on the way from Jamie. Now, wait a minute, Rick mannequin. I mean, this is a recording studio, not a department store. What are we doing with mannequin? It's ambiance, man, for the YouTube videos. (laughs) Come on, man. Ambiance, huh? That's a, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's a big word for you, ambiance. With everything that Ronnie has in his collection, I was kind of hoping for that car that he restored and everything or something like that. But hey, 
Beggars can't be choosers. We're going to get a mannequin. <laughs> oh, boy. I can't wait to see this. And Steve, you never know. There might even be a NASA thing or two somewhere in that mix. Uh, do you think? <laughs> Steve, this week in our first segment, we're going to share the third and final installment of our interview with Mike Beam. Mike talks about the struggles that he continued to face in the wake of the loss of Mike Rich and then that fiery accident involving Sterling Marlin. And despite those reservations, Mike eventually moved over to Bill Elliott's Junior Johnson Associates team, where he and Bill combined to give Junior the final Winston Cup victory of his career. Mike also takes listeners through the controversy that team endured during the lead-up to the 1995 Daytona 500 when the organization was discovered with an illegal intake manifold. I think they were ratted on to tell the truth. Well, so does Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, Mike Beam makes it back to the top of the mountain with Roush Racing, where he guided Mark Martin and Carl Edwards to just incredibly successful seasons in truck and nationwide competition. And then afterward, he has wound up with the organization now known as Petty GMS Motorsports. After 40 years, he's back together again with Richard Petty. And if you ask me, I don't think there could be a better situation for Mike than that. Then in our second segment, we're going to go back to the May 28th, 1981 issue of Grand National Scene. Bobby Allison wins at Charlotte despite serious accidents involving his brother Donnie and good friend Neil Bonnet. Hell Yarborough finishes third just two days after getting scalded by a pot of boiling water in his hotel room. Dale Earnhardt moves back into his father's old racing shop in Kannapolis, and Gene Granger gets punched. (laughs) Not the first time on my dad. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we have increased Patreon support from Dana Huffman. So, Dana, thank you very much for believing in us. It means more than I could ever say. So, listeners, if you can please support us on Patreon, support us on PayPal, support us by dropping us a five-star rating and a written review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you catch us on. I was made aware last week that Spotify does not have a section for reviews, written reviews, but they do now have a star rating. So if you can give us the highest star rating on Spotify that you can, that would be very much appreciated. So listeners, if you can do a monthly show of support, you can do that via patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the same vault podcast. Or if you would prefer to do a one-time show of support, you can do that via paypal.me slash the same vault podcast or Venmo at the same vault podcast. And also just as a reminder, this show is not affiliated in any way with American city business journals, owners of the same brand. You did move over to work with Bill in 93, uh-huh. and he had had such a great year in 92. Yep. Came so close to the championship. 
did you sense any kind of lingering disappointment on his part or frustration, or was he just After Bill the Elliott? championship? Yeah. He seemed to take it in stride. He didn't seem – I mean, that was Bill. Such a good soul. I mean, you know, when, when Bill started to come back, when he, he started talking – in fact, you know, he started talking to me about him coming to juniors because he was ready. You know, it's kind of like he was ready for a change, right? And, you know, I remember I was talking to Junior. I said, you know, you need to – you can get Bill to come, seriously. I said, you know, because I knew that we weren't the best team up there. Just, uh, I mean, I, the team was good. It just, I just wasn't, you know, I, I said, you know, you need to get put him with Tim and Mike and Hill and Pete Peterson and Pete Wright. You know, because, I mean, I said, thank you, Junior, you got like four or five crew chiefs on that team right there, right? Yeah. I said, seriously, um, and I remember we were sitting out there in the shop. He said, really? I said, yeah, you need to do that. And so we called Bill. And I, said, I said, Bill, I just feel like you need to do this deal with him and him, really. Just, I mean, they're, you know, they've established themselves and they've won with Jeff. And, you know, I think that, you know, but so then over the winter there, they may, you know, that happened. Uh, they had they had that cambered house and, you know, yeah. National Engineering built. And we didn't have one. Just because, you know, um, it wasn't nothing against us. It's just, I think, it was just there was a concern about, you know, now that I, now I understand, because I do it here sometimes, like there's, it's a risk worth the reward, right? If, you know, it's kind of like at Phoenix, Sheldon, um, Zane's own, or Martinsville, Sheldon was on one strategy and Zane was on the other, right? Yeah. That way, you don't look like a total dumbass. Yeah, at least you can get <laughs> yeah. it 50-50, right? Yeah, yeah. 50-50, yeah. you know, you're going to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I was telling Maury Gallagher, I said, yeah. He said, so why didn't, why didn't you do the same strategy on Jeff or on uh, Sheldon as you did Zane? I said, well, because you wouldn't have liked the conversation if it didn't work out, yeah. right? So yeah. anyway. So I think Junior was just trying to hedge his vet, and we went all the way till shoot, um, probably midsummer before we ever got, you know, really got going on it, you know. And but I accepted. I mean, you know, I think Sterling, he's, I know, you know, but um, yeah. So it, it it was definitely they they ran really well, you know. I I begged Junior not to break that team up. Yeah, you know, but yeah, you know, he is bound determined to do it. So he did. Yeah, it's because uh, I didn't. You know, even in '93, it's like I wasn't really too pumped up about doing the deal with Bill and them. Because I'd actually thought about just quitting. Really? Did you really? I did. Oh yeah, I was. I mean, stirring, burning, stirring up, and you know, we'd run second, we'd sit on poles and stuff, and you know, we we just couldn't win. And I mean, you know, I took the, I just. It wasn't the team's fault, you know, uh, Flash and Donnie and Kenneth and Charles and the people on that team, Mike Powell, you know, the, um, they had a great team, great people, Bobby Alton, just uh, so, but, you know, it just kind of, we've gone through so many emotions, right? You know, Mike got killed, Rich got killed. Sterling got burned up. You're talking like in two years, right? Yeah. Three years. 
you know, just like, holy crap, man, just, I didn't, really didn't know if I wanted to do this anymore. Like, I was just going to, just going to get me a, go work on a bush car or something, you know, just, um, or go buy, buy me a bill, start a tire store or something. Yeah. And uh, then that whole deal blowed up and, you know, Junior and Bill talked to me. I said, well, we'll do the best we can. We struggled. You know, they changed the rules and, you know, on the noses and, you know, it just it took us clear to Darlington, you know, 94 to win. You know, so, but I get it. You know, but it wasn't, it wasn't because of lack of trying. It sure wasn't. But it, you know, just, yeah, they had had such a great year and, you know, I, can, I was really hoping they could win that championship. I'd have been awesome for Junior and yeah. TM and that whole crowd. They had such a, they had such a great team. That whole crowd, like I said, Mike Hill and, you know, Pete Wright and Pete Peterson. And, yeah, they were pretty amazing, really. You know, so good teammates, too. Late 94, there are rumors that Bill's going to be starting his own team again. I would assume that he becomes a little bit of a lame duck, so to speak. But then you go to Darlington and you wind up winning. How big a deal was that? It was really – Honestly, he wasn't so much a lame duck. It's, you know, in fact, at that point after the, you know, uh, we just knew what we had to do. I think, I mean, I don't know if it made the announcement about McDonald's yet. I think they did at Indy or something. I don't know. I mean, that, that, that made Junior mad, you know. But still, he never, we never quit trying to win, yeah. right? Um, we... Like I said, we went so far. I mean, that thing was hot, 300 degrees oil. Back then, it was high. Yeah, water temp was hot. And I, you know, I think what um, we finally raised the hood and cleaned the radiator and cooler out. I don't know. We had to wait so many cars got laps down because we didn't have that lucky dog crap or any of that stuff back in. We just raced. So, anyway, so we finally got the hood I, get, I, got, I still got a picture of us raising the hood and Junior out there with that water hose right and, you know squirting yeah. cleaning yeah. out the radiator and oil cooler one race and we got the picture laying there and that thing was so hot you know it burnt the rear main seal out of the engine like you know this thing sit there and just leaked oil all over victory lane but it was a good I mean it was it was a big it was a special win I mean because I didn't realize that was Junior's last win you know and so yeah, it's uh, yeah. That was especially the Southern Five Hundred. I mean, it's fitting for Junior's yeah, last yeah. win to be at Darlington, right? Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. Besides Wilkesboro, I couldn't fig- figure out the place better for <laughs> yeah. him to win. Yeah. So Daytona, nineteen ninety five. What happened there? Oh, okay. So, um, so we had the manifold that. You know, the spacer popped up, you know, it slid to try to cheat the plate. And as anything, you know, somebody somebody had to tell on us because they were just waiting on us. You know, I remember, see, we went through inspection. Nelson, uh, Nelson, you know, they, they was waiting for me. You know, and they put us off this side there. And about that time, I saw the King Air take off. I knew who it was. It was JJ on the side of it. And he was going to Wilkesboro. 
Yeah. See you. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they they raked me over the coals, and the way it always was. And Junior, he was he looked so far ahead. So if you ever in trouble, and you they tell you you need to call Junior, call this number right here. All it was was the answering machine, right? Yeah. Like it never. So we was in the NASCAR trailer in France. Said, "Where's Junior at?" I said, "He's probably at the fish house there in Yaknaville, honestly." Yeah. He said, "Where's he at?" I said, "He's not here. He's gone." He said, "And he was gone. I knew he had landed because this is like three hours afterwards, and they'd taken him in a fold the whole deal." So he said, "Call the shop. Call the house." It's okay. I'll call the house. But it really wasn't the house. It was just a phone sitting on his desk, right? Yeah. It had a voice. It's Junior. Leave a message. Hey, you need to call me. Or, uh, yeah, call the call this number here. It's, it's in the garage, NASCAR garage. You know, sit there for an hour or two. And France said, that's something you ain't going to call. You think? He ain't going to call. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I got back to the motel, and, you know, it wasn't, I don't know how you knew. It wasn't five minutes I was in the room, he called me, because I was going to call the house, and the real house. You know, he had, uh, my dad built or laid the brick on his house. I forget, but that was later. But, anyway, so we busted. We were busted. No, he would built the house. So he was, a, he was in the big house, or new house with Lisa, I guess. Anyway, so... He said, how bad? I said, man, it's bad. I said, they're, they're pissed. They're mad. He goes, well, you expect that. He said, somebody told. I said, yeah, somebody told. I mean, somebody just ratted us out. That, yeah, I mean, because those guys did the machine work, and it was so nice, you couldn't see it. Yeah. There's no way you could. I mean, somebody just was jealous or somebody just was Do you have an idea who it was? Yeah, but I'm um, just <laughs> leaving that alone. But anyway, so... Uh, Anyway, so we got busted. But Junior, he, okay, well, I'll, I'll see you in a couple of days. Okay, well, I don't know how good that's, you know. So the next morning, you know, I was walking past the trailer and France was sitting, you know, how he'd sit out behind the trailer. He said, hey, Beamer, you ain't cheating today, are you? And I said, yeah, they ain't over yet. And said, yeah. <laughs> he said, come here. <laughs> he said, I like you. He said, your owner, I'm going to kill him. I go, Wow. Yeah, Billy, he's not a big fan of yours either. You know, so, <laughs> even though they become good friends. But it, anyway, so that's, that we got caught with it. After a long time, it's a pretty big fine. I mean, so anyway, we got caught with it, and everything was fine. But, you know, Bill, he had started his team in Dossville, and he was struggling, right? So by April, he called me. He said, "Hey, I really want you to. I really want you to help me. I mean, I was surprised, but that's Bill. I mean, I always be indebted to Bill, even though however how, and I'm gonna say this: how bad it was with people wanting my neck, people wanting Junior and Bill to fire me. Those cats always supported me. You know, they always yeah. did. And I'll, I always be indebted to them for that. They always had my back, and you know, just 
you know, just now who was that to had your back? Junior okay. and yeah. Bill. Yeah, they did. They had my back. You know, they did. Just they knew what we were going through. They knew mostly what I was going through. You know, uh, with everything. You know, so, um, but they always had my back. They supported me. And so, Bill, we had got Lowe's and we'd had Brett. And I tried to talk Junior into hiring Brett's crew chief he had before. Um, I said, I promise you it will work out better. I said, I'll work on the farm. I'll do whatever for you. But, you know, just I think you need to do this, Junior. But he wouldn't listen to me. He said, you need to. I said, I don't want Okay, I'll do it. But, you know, by May, you know, I told – or so I went and talked to Junior. It, it was getting warm. I went and talked to Junior. I said, so Bill's – Bills want me to come back and do his deal. He said, "Yeah, you went move to Dawson." I said, "No, he's gonna start. He's gonna build me shop here in Hickory to do it." He goes, "Really?" He said, "Well, hey, Mike, if that's what you want to do, I'll build you a shop over there, and we can keep on racing. I don't really have to have it here." I said, "You know," I said, "I want you to think about what you're saying." I said, "You remember this conversation we had probably three months ago, Junior?" You're 65, you're married, you had open-heart surgery, you're having the time of your life, kids, you know, just Robert, you know, and I don't know if he had Meredith yet. I don't think so. I just forget now. But anyway, um, I mean, he knew he was going to quit because he was trying, kind of like the way Andy, Leo deal with Randy. Like he yeah. was really trying to get me yeah. to do yeah. it, yeah. to be an owner and take, yeah. you know, and he, I mean, he was trying to help me. Be that like Leo and now did for yeah. Andy, and um, I still won't do it. Why not? Um, you know, I saw how hard it was. I mean, it's really, I guess, it's just my insecurity because we hadn't run well. You know what I'm saying, Rick? Like, I just didn't right. have the, yeah. I just didn't have the confidence in myself to do that because, but I knew that I had Junior in my, you know. To support me, and you know, we keep it the same name and stuff. You know, just you know, because it all bored around him, right? He yeah, was the closer. Yeah. I mean, you know, just when we went, to, I mean, it's, it's ironic because we went up there to Illinois for our McDonald's sponsorship. You know, I remember us flying home and we got off the plane and Don, hey, you know, Ed Renzi's on the phone and he said, "Congratulations, country." I said. Well, what are we going to do now? I said, well, he said, well, they took the deal. I went, really? Because you couldn't have Maxwell House and McDonald's. Like with Budweiser, you can only have one teammate, right? You can't yeah. have two. So we had Maxwell House and McDonald's. Yeah. So that's when he did something with Maxwell House with Bill Davis. But anyway, so uh, I just didn't have the confidence that I could do it. Yeah. And it was silly on my part. I should have done it. You know, because I, you know, I had a lot of support, and Ford—I mean, Ford was going. They were for it, and you know, I just—but just didn't do it. You did wind up going with Bill, yeah. And again, he has a crash at Talladega. And, oh yeah, and and Fontana. What did did it seem like deja vu? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So. You know, here again, you take it very personal. 
so back in they had the leg supports you know um and bill had got up on his side and he had broke his leg you remember you know we didn't really know what we we're doing you know you bolted the legs apart to the seat but then you bolted to the roll bar instead of just making it straight we didn't know yeah. nascar didn't know and he broke yeah. his leg right yeah, it's like, oh, man, now here, you know, Richard got killed, Sterling got burned up. Now, you know, just Bill broke his leg, right? Like, good gosh, man, a period of so many years. Like, so much, so much of an emotional roller coaster, Rick. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. tough, yeah. really, because yeah. you knew that it affected people's lives, right? It's like, here, Bill, you know, walking around the limp and you go, man. You know, I should know better than that. It just makes common sense, right? But even NASCAR wasn't, they didn't afford They just didn't know either. We're just learning. But yeah, he wrecked and, you know, we just, it was, it just all over again. Like, here we go again, right? You know, and uh, had a bad wreck at Fontana. Yeah. And we just, you know, I don't, we tried here again yeah that whole operations you know bill he did it for me and you know hickory we built this shop right up here that gms we were the top building up here we built that in 99 you know here again it's just like we worked so hard and we had a we were starting engineering you know had a lot of good support you know the engines and stuff and you know um but, you know, we just couldn't win. We'd sit on poles and lead races and just couldn't, you know, get close. I mean, get close and just, you know, and just I mean, here again, me being the crew chief. So I'm the one that, you know, really is to blame on that. And I'm okay with that. But, you know, it's like it just didn't work out, right? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, we, so, but luckily, you know, uh, then we decided just, you know, I built this shop up here and my sister you know, uh, been diagnosed with a brain tumor. I knew I had to take care of her or help my parents. You know, uh, she wasn't married, so he just figured out what I was going to do there. But, you know, um, at the end of, what, 99, I think it was, we said, we was going. 97. 97. What's that one was? We said, we just going. We talked on the phone. I said, you know, before we run this relationship, we just need – it's kind of like we've become two good of friends. Right. Right. Yeah. You've seen yeah. that before. Yeah. Crew chief. Yeah. And yeah. Like even Jimmy and Chad, yeah. you know, and then Jimmy Finning and Mark and people yeah. like that or Jimmy and Pat Trison and stuff. Yeah. It's like you get to be two good of friends. Then, you, you, then you're then you afraid of their feelings. You yeah. know, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, we got to that point. Bill didn't want to hurt my feelings. I didn't want – because, you know, and I said, you know, we just – you need to go do something else. And Bill said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't care. I don't know. Just you know, always survived. It'd be fine. You know, just. Uh. So anyway, that's. And that was, a, that was a good thing. I was glad. Well, 98, there's nothing for you on race and reference. Right. What did you do in 98? Did you step away from the sport? So. Let me think about that. Yeah, I didn't do nothing. I think I mowed grass. Um, I just didn't. 
I'm trying to think what I did, Rick. It's been so long ago. It's so, I just forget. I didn't do nothing, really. Really? Yeah. You weren't in the sport? I don't think so. I did. I might have dabbled in some consultant stuff, but not yeah. major. Okay. I think. I don't want to tell you wrong. I got to think about that. Well, at any rate, you wound up at the Wood Brothers. You worked with Elliot Sadler. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then you go to PPI, and you with and Rick, Craven. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fixing to restore his car. That car we won the race with. The horse. Really? Yeah. He's got there to sit behind his shop there. In yeah. Campus. Yeah. Well, <sighs> Ricky won that race at Martinsville, uh-huh. and of course he had this huge backstory oh, with, yeah. with the injuries that oh, he had yeah. sustained at Texas. What do you remember about that day? I remember winning that race, and that guy, it was like the whole weight of the world was lifted off his shoulder. All that yeah. guy wanted to do was win a race, right? I'm going to tell you, you know, when I decided to go with two, you know, I told Craven, I said, man, I'm just going to put it in your hands here, dude. You're just going to hide. And I said, I remember Wes rolling around there, and, and we took two. Because I, I was a shot to win, you know, and I knew Dale and him took four. That I remember telling him, Sir Ricky, this is just a short track Oxford restart here. Yeah. You know what to do. Yeah. And he did. I mean, he did. It's a picture perfect. I mean, I think Will hopped so bad getting in one because we were pitting right there, pissed all 12. I mean, you could hear the thing. I mean, he just, but he hit it perfect. I mean, I think. You know, ran well all day, but, you know, it was – but I remember I was happy to win the race, but I was so happy for Ricky and his family and all his fans that, you know, just he could now say he was a Winston Cup winner, right? Yeah. That's, we talked about that so much, that boy getting to do that because from what he had come from, that whole wreck, you know, basically coming back too early and, you know, it humbled him and – just really good friend. I've, in fact, I, I've thought about him yesterday. I need to go see him because he he doesn't live that far from me. We talk, but you know. Uh, I thought he was back up in Maine. No, he's been going back and forth. Okay, but yeah. he's. I think he's going. You know why? What he told me, like I said, he's got his car lot there in China Grove, yeah. selling Corvettes and stuff, yeah. and got some nice cars, beautiful cars. And um, I, I, you know, I think he's. Um, you know, he's still. I think he's going to um, back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like so. Yeah, that's craving man. He's a he's a good soul. He's a good guy. I like him a lot. In two thousand and six, you moved to the truck series with Jack Roush yeah. and Mark Martin. Going into that deal, did you consider that a step back, mm-hmm. or did you consider that a chance to spend more time with your family? I mean, it was like the good Lord just blessed us with that because, you know, uh, I was excited because Jack was giving me the opportunity. Yeah, you go. So that was, I was, what, 50 years old, you know, about done. I knew that we raised trucks on Friday nights and stuff, and I'd, you know, Never knew what to do on Sundays besides race, right? Even yeah. Saturdays, you know. Yeah. But so, yeah, it was Jack. He was really wanting me to come do it. Mark was wanting me to come do it. Wanted me to come do it. I said, yeah. So, uh, best thing I ever done. Really? 
yeah. Why is that? It's just, you know, my girls, our girls were, you know, uh, going to college and, you know, just getting to spend time with them. I remember, you know, getting involved in our church more and just uh, Sarah was, uh, gosh, Sarah was 10 or 11 then, you know. So uh, just uh, I felt like at that time it's quality of life, and now here I am, you know, taking us back cup racing. But, you know, yeah. but, so it was uh, because I got to be, you know, like I said, you know, 2006 first race, Daytona, we went to race, right? Then we went to Fontana the next week, and I almost went to Atlanta, you know, there. So, you know, we won quite a few races, you know. So got my confidence back up and, you know, and really started enjoying the engineering part, learning more about that and, you know, Jack. And it's fun to work with, you know, Riser and, you know, Jimmy Finney and just a bunch of old school racers. And, you know, Jack was giving us everything we needed to have Bobby Hudson and, in the shop and just you know just really good people it kind of rejuvenated me because we had a shot to win every week right yeah. and you know mark he's always going to give it his best you know and oh uh, so we finally wound up there at 2000 so we went to bristol and then you know went to homestead and he'd wrecked our really our primary truck at atlanta we built a new truck and me and Mark, he's just amazing. He carried our butt that night. I mean, you know, we were, you know, um, so I don't know how many races we ended up winning a year, but we were, you know, but we were, it was a lot of fun. You know, got me, got me going again, seriously. I mean, you know, just to have a shot to win, have all the tools to do it and use all the tools. After everything that had happened with Mike and then with Sterling and then with Bill, in all seriousness, did you feel a, a load? Taking off your shoulder. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. because you did win six races. Yeah. So, what was it like to get that sense of relief? You know, it was something. You know, like I said, I can understand Ricky. You know what what we experienced there, but you know, it's like you just you don't. It's just a situ. It's just a feeling that you know. Well, okay, we won, so you know it, it's. We were the best that day, and you know, because Toyota got involved, and you know, Bill and them, Davis, and they had some heavy hitters, right? They had a lot of stuff to work with, and it was just a relief because you knew you had the driver, and you'd put it all together finally. And you know, I'd finally turned the corner, understanding that you know, you can't be insecure. You need to have smarter people than you around you, right, to help you. Yeah because it's so much and um jack provided that for me and uh, ravi and yeah so um it was just a huge thin it was just so much so relief that you won that honestly it's like holy crap man i'm 50 years old and you know 51 years old here and you win daytona you win you know just dover you win places that you know you win the last race together at homestead just so you know uh it's hard to explain but you know you you you've turned around down you've come back a winner right that's so i'd hate to left the sport and not done that i really would how did you wind up over here at gms so um 
it was what, 2011? I had Carl, and we ran in the, I had him in the Xfinity Series and been very successful. You know, won the owner's championship, won seven or eight races, I think. You know, um, and then 12, Jack disbanded the whole team, and I left. I just, you know, okay, I've been here quite a while. It's time for me to do something. Then I went to KBM and did the Xfinity deal for one year, won Richmond Kurt, you know, just, and uh, so, I, you know, I don't enjoy this. So um went to Red Bull, Red Horse with Tom DeLoach, nice man, great team, you know, Butch Hill and that whole crowd. They, uh, and I, they gave, you know, I had John West Hanley and, you know, uh, hate that, you know, John, Tony and Elizabeth, that whole family, just nice people, just, you know, um, Sad what happened, yeah. you know, it breaks my heart. But uh, I did that for, and then in 14, at the end of 14 there, I was done. I was done. I was done. Just seriously. Seriously, I was, really, I was going to just mow grass and do whatever. We'd sold our big house, and we didn't know what we were going to do. But Nancy, you know, I think, um, we said, you know, good Lord always provides. We'll figure it out. So pray about it. But anyway, so I was at Morrinsville, and Harold Holly, he was like a competition guy here. And he said, man, you need to go do this deal. He said, I'm going to go race dirt. I said, yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm kind of used up here a little bit. You know, he said, yeah, you, you'll like this owner. I said, okay, well, give him my number. So Maury called me, and they were down there in that Joey Colder shop there off 85 or, 70, or off 77 there. So I went there and met with him, him and I think Jeff Stankowitz and I think Shane Huffman, and we just talked about what we're going to do or how we do it. And, you know, uh, and we, I didn't think nothing ever come of it. Heck, I was mowing grass with another guy. I was weed eating, blowing, just having a big time, right? Yeah. Just, Never got to do that, so we just um, – so anyway, uh, then Bill, uh, Maury called me and said, hey, you, you want to – you really want – you want to do this? And I go, who is this? <laughs> he says, oh, it's Maury. I said, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, if you want if you want to do this, we'll definitely uh, – I said, but, you know, just – I was so with that was two thousand what fourteen right so I was fifty seven fifty eight years old and I said but more I'm not gonna put up a bunch of crap I just don't have the temperament to do it and he said you just run out the deal the way you want to do it and and sure I mean six months six years later and you know we won. 20, 20 some arca races and 40 some truck races and he's just awesome i'm gonna tell you rick i've been blessed to have some really good owners you know from harry mellon you know which is awesome i mean butch lindley andre tig that own harry gantz late mall sports and cars you know and some really good people i mean seriously some really good owners that I learned from that I was very blessed to get be associated with that always took care of me and like I said you always take away from stuff and biggest there's a couple owners I mean Maury of course because of business and then you take 
uh, Junior just on how to treat people. And you take Jack on the engineer and stuff. I mean, you know, just um, so you always take bits and pieces from all of them, you know, and kind of that's what parlayed this deal into what it is today. I mean, it's a, you know, hundred hundred some employees. And uh, yeah, so now we're going to try to go cup racing. I guess. <laughs> when you come in the shop and you see you pass trophies and everything and you've got these nice buildings and everything, what kind of sense of satisfaction does that give you? Oh, it's definitely, uh, you know, uh, a sense of satisfaction. You know, I tell people, they say, wow, y'all have done a really nice job. I say, you know, the guy don't really get enough credits, Mr. Gallagher and Maury, because he made the financial commitment to make this OM program, right? Uh, but it's a lot of, I mean, because, you know, we've employed quite a few people, and, you know, we've change people's lives right and we you know one of the we you know it's here at gms like you know we furnish the, the employee and their families health care i mean tell that's a yeah that's huge right for 100 employees that's huge that's a at this day and time that's a lot you know got a really good 401k and you know doing missing you know people you understand that Maury does care about you, right? Yeah. As a family, you know, in him being a self-made millionaire, you know that he understands. I mean, he's he's a he's a businessman. He's taught me a lot about business, you know. So, I mean, they started racing legend cars out there in Vegas, right? Yeah. And it's grown into this. And he never, in his wildest dreams, thought he'd be, you know, truck champion owner and a. Arca champion owner and you know um so if you go down the shop and you'll see way back on the end of the building it's kind of ironic you know the there's i think we hung the first banner we hung we wanted to arca race at daytona um with grant and 15 and the next ones we won the truck the pole for the daytona race the next week with ty dylan you know, then we went all the way to September to win our first race with Austin at New Hampshire. And so we won 41 races since then. Yeah, uh-huh. so we've been very done. We've been very blessed. But, you know, we couldn't have done it without GM, of course. I mean, you know, Chevrolet. But I've uh, had some really good people come through here, really good crew chiefs that's gone on to do other things, which, you know, happy for them and mechanics. That's the one thing you – you have you have people here, then you win, and then you know you don't keep people because well, it's the way it should be. I mean, we yeah. I don't know how many people's gone on to even this year to go cup racing and yeah. Xfinity racing. That's the way it should be. Yeah. So you know, but it's yeah, it's you know, it's uh, quite accomplishment for sure. You know, but we still got a lot more to do. Last question. I know that you restored the car that Bill won his first race with. Yep. I know that you've restored Butch Lindley's car. Yep. Uh, you mentioned the fact that you're going to restore Ricky Craven's mm-hmm. car. Is that a Mike De- Beam deal? Is that GMS? That's mine. Yeah, Is I it love really? it. Yeah. Why do you? What kind of satisfaction do you get out of that? You know, yeah, we just done that Mercury uh, for. Uh, Carlos and Bill, you know, that nine Mercury, that Cam 2, 
uh, Mercury. Um, you know, you just no different than anybody else. You know, it takes you back to a simpler time, right? You live, you you remember the good times you had and just the people. And it, it's just my small way of giving back to these people. You know, Ricky always supported me, Craven and Bill did. And, you know, just Bush did too. So it's just, you know, my small, that they can go look at those cars and be proud of them. And, you know, just because, I don't know, it's like there's, they, um, honestly, it's like, it's just my way of giving them back. You're preserving history. Yeah, and that's so. I think that, and I'm gonna ramp that up some here once we get our cup stuff kind of laid out. And there's a uh, there's a couple of cars which I mean, Bill Ryan them they do amazing work down there, yeah. you know. And I'll never be able to match stuff he has, but just some cars that are, means a lot to me. You know, one of the best project we did is that ramp truck here that we drove in '77. You know, it's a uh, I think it's a beast, man. Oh, so you've done more than just those three. Yeah, I got the ramp truck out of West Virginia that we used on Butch's car. That we hauled oh, Butch's wow. car. Okay. Yeah, we, wow. we we put an LS engine in it with a five-speed. I think I'll get it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, because it just kind of fell in my lap, the guy had the truck. Like, oh, really? In fact, it's an old Mike Porter hauler. We had it in 77, and Mike Porter got it. And then things sit out there in the weeds, yeah. you know. So, um, yeah, I kind of – if I see something, I think, yeah, well, that's going to be pretty cool to restore. Keep looking, you know, keep buying something, you know, just uh, something I'd really want to do, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, thinking about something from – yeah, my neighbor that really started me racing, he's 75, and, you know – I'm actually really thinking about just restoring one a car. I found a '56 Ford, but well, Phil Combs did. There's a '56 Ford that I really want to get. To it's a race car. It's over in Shelby, or Rutherfordton, or something. And but you know, I've been kind of debating whether to make out a one of my neighbors or because see, what people don't know is Junior had a '56 Ford he raced in like the hobby division, had a six cylinder there when. Um, Ford had pulled out, yeah. and they ran it like at Asheville and Hickory. Junior Johnson? Yeah. Wow. It was a Holly Farms, a 56 yeah. Ford. Wow. Had a six-cylinder in it. 292, I think it was. So I'd say that's probably going to be my next one. Wow. That way, because I can keep it. And, you know, uh, Junior, he's gone. So, you know, it's just, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's going to be the one, my, probably my next one that I – Want something for Junior, you know, so living, it's just a good way to live in your past and give back a little bit. We've got to preserve the history, right, because people are just going to be gone, right? This segment is brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's Racing Showplace. Steve Mike Beam had worked with Bill Elliott at Melling Racing, so that relationship was already in place when Bill started considering his options for the 1992 season. And we talked last week about some of the things that Mike went through 
with the accidents involving Mike Rich and then Starla Marlin. And when it appeared that Bill was going to be available, Mike was not campaigning to get Bill for his Junior Johnson and Associates team. He went to Junior and told him that putting Bill together with Tim Brewer would be their best shot at success. And you know what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it worked. It worked. Yeah. Big time. 1992, they came out of the starting gate like they were shot out of a cannon. I think it was pretty evident to everybody that Bill had made the right decision to move to Junior's operation. Five wins that year, including four in a row very early in the season. And then they came this close to the championship. I was at the Hooters 500 at Atlanta, a race you and I know well. As a matter of fact, I think you've done something about that race, haven't you? <laughs> I have. I have. Well, you know, as well as that season went from the outside looking in, the flip side of the coin is to say that Junior and Tim Brewer didn't exactly see eye to eye is kind of like saying Randy LaJoy and Buckshot Jones didn't exactly get along very well. <laughs> Junior and Tim, they have a long history together. And for whatever reasons, we've not been able to get Tim on the show yet yet so hopefully one day we'll have him on the show and he can talk about all that but according to mike he begged junior not to break up the bill elliott tim brewer combination but junior being junior this was his team and at the end of the 1992 season tim was out well tim and junior always had a somewhat contentious relationship for a lot of different reasons For Mike's part, Mike said that he was actually considering quitting racing because of Mike Rich. And then right on the heels of that, Sterling Marlin's Bristol accident. And then not being able to get Sterling into victory lane. And he's thinking, you know, maybe I'll just go tinker on a bush car or maybe open a tire store like Michael McSwain actually did several years later. So he was really having a hard time. But then after junior showed Tim the door. Junior goes to Mike and says, Hey boy, you're up. You and Bill, it's your turn. (laughs) And so Mike admitted that he wasn't exactly crazy about the idea, but I guess when Junior Johnson tells you to do something, you go and do it. Well, he was somewhat obligated to Junior. That's true. But I think he still would have ignored Junior and gone off on his own had he really not felt the need to stay on and see if he could make things work. Yeah, he was really studying what to do after those situations that he went through. But I give him credit. You know, he decided to give it one more shot. Mike did make that move over to be Bill's crew chief in 1993, and they made it to Victory Lane in the 1994 Southern 500 at Darlington, which we discussed in our Issue of the Week segment all the way back in Episode 56. That was Bill's first win since the 1992 Hooters 500, and it would be another seven years before he won again. And as I mentioned just a few minutes earlier, it was the final win of Junior Johnson's career. So that is September of 1994. Brett Bodine comes on board during the offseason. Lowe's comes on board during the offseason. Certainly a new combination, as Bill Elliott would put it. (laughs) But then comes Daytona in 1995. That was my very first speed weeks with scene. All of a sudden, all heck breaks loose in the garage during inspection. 
the spacer in the carburetor manifold is tricked out to slide back and forth. Not original, by the way. Back in the 70s, Charlie Glotzbach drove a Haas Ellington car with a very similar device in it. We call it a Glotzbach gizmo. Well, this was evidently Mike Beam's bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Mike said that he felt sure that somebody told on them because Gary Nelson was right there at inspection and they got pulled off to the side. Now, Mike would not say who he thought it was. So we can only speculate. Well, if Gary Nelson is waiting on you, okay, before it even begins, you know something is up. He gets pulled off to the side and he and Gary Nelson are talking and the hammer is fixing to drop. And about that time, Mike looks up and there's Junior's plane taking off from the airport behind the racetrack there. (laughs) (laughs) And Mike said he thought that was Junior's way of saying, good luck, boy. I'm heading to the house. (laughs) (laughs) I happen to agree with that, by the way. (laughs) Long story short. Junior was fined $45,000. Brett wasn't allowed to make a first-round qualifying attempt. And Mike, I don't know what the deal was here. Mike was fined $100 (laughs) and placed on indefinite probation. Junior was fined $45,000 as the car owner. Mike Beam was the crew chief and technically responsible for everything that was on the car. He got docked $100. Well, let's remember this. Why even bother? Yeah, let's remember this. Bill France Jr. and Junior Johnson were not exactly close friends. (laughs) Junior said repeatedly that he didn't like some of the ways that Bill was running NASCAR, and Bill didn't have much use for Junior. So I think Bill France Jr.'s influence played a role here. Here is one of those behind-the-scenes stories that I love so much. Mike is walking by the NASCAR hauler that week when he sees Bill Jr. <laughs> and Bill Jr. goes, hey, Beamer, you cheating today? <laughs> Mike and Mike looks at him and goes, well, they ain't over yet. <laughs> <laughs> Great retort. <laughs> A few months later, Bill calls, and he wants Mike's help on the new team that he has started. But Mike isn't willing to move back to Dawsonville, so Bill actually agrees to move his team to Hickory, where Mike is living. So Mike tells Junior about Bill's offer, and from what Mike said, Junior said that he would build a shop for Mike in Hickory. And Mike pretty much knew that Junior was on his way out of the sport at that time. I think a lot of us kind of Yeah, Junior Hart was not in it anymore, not at all. There was evidently talk that Mike, was going to buy the team from Junior, but Mike decided to go ahead and go with Bill's deal because Mike admitted that he just didn't have the confidence at that point to pull off something like that. I think he had the confidence, but he also had the good sense not to do it because you're taking a big risk here financially. So Mike is back as the crew chief for Bill in 1996, and what happens? Bill gets hurt at Talladega when he gets airborne there on the backstretch. The car came down really hard, and he broke his leg. And Mike Beam is right back in that cycle. Mike Rich, Sterling Marlin, and now Bill. Mike wound up working with Elliot Sadler with the Wood Brothers, but then 
Steve, he was the crew chief for Ricky Craven when Ricky won that first Winston Cup race of his career at Martinsville, which Ricky told us last year was the biggest win of his life. And Steve, you can just imagine being in Mike's shoes and having all these folks who are so close to him and who he feels responsible for. Certainly the Mike Rich accident was very tragic, but then Sterling gets hurt, Bill gets hurt. And so you can imagine where that would impact Mike Bean. Well, I think that the fact that he was the crew chief when Ricky Craven won his first career race and called it the biggest win of his life, that had to have a tremendous boost to Mike's spirits, considering everything he had been through. Well, I think that that certainly gave him a shot of confidence. But then in 2006, Mike moves to the truck series with Roush Racing and Mark Martin. And they proceed to have this just absolutely crazy, stupid monster year. <laughs> In 14 starts, they had six wins, 11 top fives, and 12 top tens. That's remarkable. Remarkable. <laughs> In Oof. 14 starts. Mike said that that was the best thing that he ever did. And he got to spend time with his daughters who were in college by then. He had an awesome run with Ross Racing. He won another eight races with Carl in the Nationwide Series in 2011. But then again, by the end of 2014, Mike was done. I think by that time, he had been on the road for many, many years, more than three decades. And I think he was thinking that it was time for him to slow down. Steve, he actually went and was mowing yards and weed eating <laughs> with a buddy of his to stay big busy. From, yeah, big change from being a cruiser, don't you think? But here's the thing. Mike went out on top, okay? He had his trials, his tribulations, but when he finally decided to walk away, he was on top as a wing crew chief with Mark Martin and Carl Edwards. Great stuff. Just when they thought he was out, they pulled him back in. <laughs> <laughs> he talked to Harold Holly at Martinsville, and Harold told him about this guy, Maury Gallagher, and Mike said, you know, I'm kind of used up. I'm tired. I've been doing this a long time. And Harold just responded, talk to him. Trust me. And so Mike gave Harold his number. Maury called Mike. And today, Mike is the president of Petty GMS Motorsports. And after all these years, Mike Beam is right back to working with Richard Petty, which I think is just the absolute coolest thing in the world. I think that's a perfect situation for Mike. I'm really, really glad he is where he is with Richard again. Last but not least, Mike has fully restored one of Butch Lindley's old race cars and the ramp truck that they used back in 1977 to haul all over the country. He also restored the car that Bill Elliott drove to the first Winston Cup win of his career. And he also said that he had discussed restoring the car that Ricky Craven won with at Martinsville, I think he's going to do that for Ricky. I so, think that's going to be great. Again, that is Mike's way of giving back to them and to history. And like us, he's all about preserving NASCAR history. That's exactly right. Bravo, Mike. Tell you what, Steve, why don't we let him restore the cars and we'll take care of all the old newspapers. <laughs> That sounds good think, to me. I think that might be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> the 
this segment is brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's Racing Showplace, the May 28th, 1981 issue of Grand National Scene. Bobby Allison took the lead for the final time in the 1981 World 600 at Charlotte on lap 331 and then cruised to an 8.2 second margin of victory over runner-up Harry Gant. <laughs> Again, 8.2 second margin in NASCAR is a good old-fashioned country butt kitchen. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Gary McCready wrote the race lead, and he correctly reported that this was Bobby's fifth win at Charlotte, but then wrote that it was his first victory there since winning the 600 in 1971 but bobby also won the fall races later that same season in 1971 then in 72 then in 78 bobby would also tell you that he won the fall race there in 1973 after the whole controversy with (laughs) richard petty and kel yarbrough's engines but we won't go there today he still has 85 wins whichever way you look at it yeah i threw that in there just for completion's sake (laughs) yeah do your thing but you know what? I'm going to give Gary the benefit of the doubt and think that he meant to write that it was Bobby's first 600-mile win there since 1971, which is, in I, fact, correct. Yeah, I think that's exactly what Gary meant. And the bad thing is, Gary McCready wrote this race lead, so I can't bust your chops about the faux pas. And that saddens me more than it probably should. Your time is coming, Houston. Your time is coming. (laughs) When I get to bust your chops about another mistake? Yeah, I I imagine so. (laughs) (laughs) Steve, there were seven caution flags during this event, including two that ended up in a couple of people very close to Bobby being injured. Bobby's brother, Donnie, got together with Dick Brooks on lap 152. Dick had to be taken from his car and was later diagnosed with a dislocated shoulder. While Donnie was taken to the intensive care unit at Charlotte Memorial Hospital with a concussion, fractured ribs, bruised right lung, and broken left knee. And Steve, we have talked about that accident at least three times before here on the show. Back in episode 62, when Donnie was our interview guest, then the other two, when we had Kyle Petty and then Mike Beam on the show to talk about their Lone Star Beer Escapade, when they stopped in Birmingham, Alabama to visit Donnie in the hospital, Bobby said in this issue, Donnie looked like he was hurt in the car. The car was tore up and he was slumped over. I knew it took them quite a while to get him out. Naturally, I was very concerned. I've raced side by side with my brother for 23 or 24 years now. I feel we've had the best brother relationship in sports. I know he'd be alarmed to see me like that, And I was alarmed to see him like that, but I felt obligated to do my best. I never want to do that again. And when the cautions came out, it would come right back. Waddell Wilson, who was his crew chief at Renier Racing, kept assuring me that Donnie was okay. Neil Bonnet and the Wood Brothers had a stout car that day at Charlotte, as they almost always did back in those days. Always, (laughs) yeah. He led 12 times for a total of 133 laps, but then Rusty Wallace and Jimmy Means crashed in turn four on lap 211, and Kel Yarbrough was racing Neil back to the caution to try to stay on the lead lap when Neil got together with Bobby Waywax's lapped car. 
Neil slid across the racetrack and smashed hard into the inside retaining wall at the end of pit road. He was taken to the infield care center with severely bruised ribs, but was later released. And there is a photo of Neil in the car and his head slumped over and he appears to be in a lot of pain. Bobby said, Neil hit so hard, it knocked him out too. I was behind Neil and it was really scary. He creamed that inside wall. And there's a set of tire imprints in that concrete wall. I was really alarmed because it looked pretty bad. Kale was trying to race back to the line and trying to get his lap back. Neil put his hand up to get Kale to slow down, but Kale continued to race. So I guess Neil felt he had to protect his position. Neil went up and the other cars crowded him into the wall. Now I've seen that picture of Neil in the car with that agonized look on his face. And let me tell you something. If you've ever had bruised ribs, you know you're in pain. I mean, it hurts to breathe. After Neil was released from the infield care center, he said, they told me over the radio to beat Kale back to the line. The track looked wide open, but the slow car in front looked like it turned right in front of me. It all happened so fast. I'm all right. The only thing hurt is my feelings because it tore up my car and Bobby's. Now, Neil has been knocked out in the car. He's got severely bruised ribs. And he says that the only thing that hurt is his feelings. Honestly and truly, I'm not so sure that those were the good old days. Well, Rick, in many ways, they were not. We tend to think so because we remember them so fondly. But they weren't all good old days, that's for sure. Neil's accident was triggered when he and Kel were racing back to the caution flag and Bobby took aim at that issue as so many others did over the years. Bobby said, if we have live six shooters, then I guess we'll use live six shooters. It's the rules we've got to play under. It's tough to sit still when a guy is trailing and comes up and tries to dive under the leader. If a car is sitting in the middle of the track, it's a frightening thing. The fear of such a moment is indescribable. It's bad for the guys sitting still, and it's bad for the people close to him. I've never liked that rule. It is really one of the poorest rules NASCAR has. They should get a lot more professional than to continue to use a 1914 rule. Begging and pleading with tears in our eyes don't work. Bobby made a solid case about racing back to the yellow flag up in the press box when that situation ever arose. And we knew there was going to be a race back to the caution flag. Man, I got to tell you, every set of eyes was put down on that track to those guys racing back because there could be a really nasty incident. And more times than we care to mention, that's exactly what happened. We have the lucky dog rule today. And you've sure. heard the old school complaints, and I've heard the old school complaints. All of God's children have heard the old school complaints. People saying, oh, NASCAR's just giving them the lap back. They got to earn it. Well, NASCAR finally came to its senses and took out a potentially dangerous situation. That wasn't a potentially dangerous situation. It was absolutely a dangerous situation. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and speculate that the lucky dog rule actually makes it more difficult to regain a lost lap because way back when you'd see two, three, four, however many cars getting lap back, depending on who the leader was and who his buddies were. <laughs> <laughs> and they would get their last back coming back to the yellow flag. And today one car 
gets a lap back under each caution one. So take that for what it's worth. And it is worth a lot. So lucky dog roll for better or worse. I'm all for it. Harry Gant finished second, followed by Kel Yarbrough. We'll get to him in a few minutes. Ricky Rudd and Kyle Petty in the top five. Kyle was four laps down to Bobby at the finish, but it was the first top five finish of his career and the first for Mike Beam as crew chief. And you'll take them anywhere you can get them. If you're one lap down or four laps, that don't matter. Fifth place is fifth place. Steve, you had an awesome piece in this issue. The door to an old shop behind a house on Sedan Avenue in Kannapolis, North Carolina, was opened for the first time in two years. Do you have any idea who that shop belonged to? Yes, I do, Mr. Ralph Ornard. Steve, you wrote in this story, to see it meant to revel in memories. Dust had collected on the lathes and drills, and the last engine Ralph Earnhardt ever used was rusty after years of storage beneath the workbench. Hand tools, nuts, bolts, and various automobile parts were scattered everywhere. There were broken wooden chairs, a busted go-kart frame, innumerable decals, and posters. Even an American flag rolled up and put in the rafters to prove that once the building enjoyed a human touch. Dell was running his late model car out of the building and said it was a matter of circumstances more than anything else. The car was supposed to be prepared over at Robert G's shop in Harrisburg, but he had rented it out. So we decided to come here. It was available, and I knew we could work here as long and as often as we needed, and I just had an urge to get back. I thought that was pretty neat for Dale to go back to his father's shop where he had spent so much time as a kid and a young man trying to get started in racing and work on his cars from there. It was a natural fit. Kel Yarborough had brought a traveling coffee pot to Charlotte and had it in his hotel room. On Friday morning, with the race being on Monday, he took that pot, he plugged it up in the bathroom, he set it on a towel rack, and boom, that pot of boiling water somehow got dumped down his right arm and the right side of his body. And Steve, just thinking about that, just thinking about that, Steve. Mm. Uh. <laughs> oh my gosh. He hopped in his car and he drove to the track where he knew that he could get into the infield care center a lot quicker than he would have had he gone to a local hospital emergency room. Kale sustained second-degree burns and had his right arm covered in salve and wrapped in bandages. Burns on his stomach and leg were left flaming red. Now, did you say that Kale put that coffee pot on a towel rack? Yeah, I did. I'm trying to picture a coffee pot on a towel rack and the coffee pot not staying there. <laughs> <laughs> I think the odds are pretty good. It's going to yeah, fall. I don't know what was going on there, but <laughs> Steve, the thing was, this wasn't some 50 lapper at a quarter mile racetrack somewhere. This was the world 600, 600 miles. Mm -hmm. And three days after dumping this scalding hot water all over himself, Kale finished third behind Bobby and Harry. Kale said it didn't bother me that much. I scraped my arm last night and that really hurt. So some more gauze was put on. There's no meat on my arm, and the gauze stuck to part of it. 
rather than try to pick out those pieces and maybe start bleeding, the doctors decided this morning to put more salve on the arm. Now, this kind of situation that Kale was involved in probably should tell you that why he had a reputation of one of the toughest guys in racing. Kale's injury took place on Friday before Monday's World 600, and then on Saturday, Buck Baker punched Gene Granger, <laughs> a reporter for Grand National Scene. <laughs> well, old Buck probably did what a lot of drivers and competitors wanted to do with old Gene. <laughs> Rules at the time stated that a driver had to be retired five full years before being nominated for the National Motorsports Press Association Hall of Fame, of which, yes, you are a member before <laughs> Drop that into conversation. <laughs> the stats on hand showed that he had last attempted to qualify for a Winston Cup race in May of 1976 when he failed to make the starting grid for the World 600. So five full years had passed. So according to that, Buck could be nominated for the Hall of Fame and everybody was going to live happily ever after, right? Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gene dug through his records and discovered that Buck had raced at Charlotte in the fall of 1976. So technically five full years had not yet passed. So he pointed that out. Buck evidently didn't appreciate such thorough record keeping on Gene's part. He tracked Gene down at his hotel. Gene opened the door and Gene got a knuckle sandwich. <laughs> well, what really happened was Gene opened the door, saw Buck standing there, and Buck told him in so many words that he did not appreciate what Gene had done that was trying to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. And Gene said, I reserve the right to print what I want to print. And Buck said, I reserve the right to kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. <laughs> That's right. All right. So a couple of weeks ago, you revealed so shockingly that Gene and Earl Sappenfield, NASCAR's chief scorer at that time, didn't get along. Buck Baker wants to fight Gene. Who else do we need to add to Gene's S list? <laughs> <laughs> the list is long and impressive. <laughs> <laughs> That's one side of the story. Old Gene was no stranger to ruffling some feathers, but then there's also the whole issue of record keeping. Thanks to this thing called the internet. Do a quick search for Buck Baker stats on racing reference, and it shows that not only did Buck run the second Charlotte race in 1976 after not making the field for that year's 600, he also ran Daytona, Talladega, and Darlington. Well, you bring up a good point, Rick, about the internet and computers and such as that. Back then, none of that existed, and it was all record-keeping by paper and pencil. I mean, you did not get the official results from any NASCAR race until a Tuesday or Wednesday after the race and by mail. No fax machines, none of that stuff. Oh, wow. So Gene kept every scrap of information that he could, and he had file drawers full of it. So he knew pretty much what he was doing in his own way. And let's give him credit for that because there's a lot of records that I don't think we didn't know about had we not had people like Gene and others around during that time. So keeping track of stats and records and lists 
was not an exact science once upon a time. And Steve, this was at the cup level. This was at the highest yeah. level of stock car racing. So just imagine what it would be like to try to figure out who ran what race and what went down at your local short track. You're hundred percent right, Rick. And think about this. The only way that some of those records were ever recorded were by dedicated people who were determined to make sure that happened. And Gene was one of them. I'm Jeff Purvis. I'm Kyle Petty. Hi, this is Paul Andrews. Hi, I'm Ray Evernham. Hey, everybody. I'm Gil Martin. You're listening to the Scene Vault Podcast. Hello, Scene Vault fans. This is Brian from Speedway Screens. And if you're enough of a NASCAR historian to be listening to this podcast, there's a good chance a piece of the past you've been on the hunt for is in my shop. I'm constantly on the hunt for apparel and collectibles from all genres and eras of motorsports. So whether it be cup cars, dirt modifieds, dragsters, or monster trucks, I've probably got something for you. Check out my inventory at speedwaytsj.etsy.com and be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Speedway Screens for the newest items as soon as they drop and for a peek at what I keep for my own collection. As a special thank you to listeners of this show, just enter scene at checkout for 10% off. Speedwaytsj.etsy.com. That's speedwaytsj.etsy.com. This podcast has been brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. And Steve, I don't know how your morning has gone, but let's just say it is a miracle of epic proportions that you and I are talking right now. Jeannie had to come to Asheville, North Carolina, a couple of hours from our home in Yakinville. I knew that I was going to have to record this episode in our hotel room. But when I got here last night, I discovered that I did not have a power cord for my computer. <laughs> that is a problem. And for the first time ever, I get to say this. It's back in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> it's back in the studio. So this morning I took Jeannie to court where I dropped her off. And then I went to one Walmart to find a power cord. They didn't have one. I went to another Walmart that was several miles away. They had one of these adapter things where it had several different plugs and you could plug that into your computer. I bought that, came back to the hotel, and none of those adapter fittings work for this computer. <laughs> it says fits most computers. Well, I got a Dale. Yeah. Well, he said most, not all. <laughs> well, I found that out. So huh. anyway, you know what? I don't feel that bad that I forgot my computer cord because Jeannie who is right now, as we speak, serving as a district court judge in Buncombe County, Asheville, North Carolina. She forgot her robe. <laughs> <laughs> you two are not doing so well up there. <laughs> I love, we're getting, getting kind of close on the battery. It's 39%. So let's, let's haul through right, this. Keep moving. Keep moving. Yeah. Well, do you want to go back and talk about it? Nah, that's hard. We haven't got enough time. Okay. How's your battery? Uh, 28%. Let's play. Let's go. All right.